My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. We are going to continue this Sunday in John 10. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John 10. We, we started in John 10 last Sunday, but uh, this passage is too rich uh, to cover in one single Sunday. This is a well-known passage, or at least parts of it are, that talk about Christ as our shepherd, Jesus as our shepherd. And last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is the true shepherd the true shepherd. Uh, Jesus acknowledged in, in saying that, that there are other shepherds. Now, I think in Jesus' day, what he had in mind were false teachers like the scribes and the Pharisees that were actually leading people away from God and into legalism. And Jesus was saying to them, be careful about the shepherds that you follow. Some shepherds do not mean to bring you life. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. Now, without question, this also does uh, project onto our great enemy, Satan, who is the enemy of our soul, who is the father of lies and the father of deception. And so Jesus says in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life, and that abundantly. But he has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so last week, the, the key question was this, what voice are you listening to? What shepherd are you following? Because one shepherd will lead you to life, but the other will steal, kill, and destroy. Now, on the surface of it, it would seem obvious. Why would anyone follow a shepherd who is going to lead you to destruction? And why would not anyone follow a shepherd that will lead you to life? But the truth is, we will not follow one that we do not trust. We will not follow one that we do not trust. And I believe that's why Jesus goes on, beginning in verse 11 today, to say, I'm not just the true shepherd, I am the good shepherd. I am a shepherd that you can follow because you can trust my goodness. Let's just read together John 10, beginning in verse 11, and we'll read down through verse 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters it. The man who runs away because he is a hired hand, or the man does run away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as my father knows me and I know my father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. 
this command I received from the Father. From the Father. So Jesus says here, I am the good shepherd. And it's interesting that in the Greek language, there are actually two different words that can be translated good. Uh, One of them is the word agathos, and it means to be morally upright. It means to always do the right thing and to never do the wrong thing. That's what it means to be good uh, in terms of the word agathos. But there is a second word, which is kalos. And kalos has a much more personal uh, connotation. It's more of an emotional connotation there. To be good in that sense means to be noble, to be beautiful, to be wonderful, to be the perfect model. And the word that is used here in John 10.10 is that second word, kalos. Now, you've probably all known people who were good in that first sense. They are morally upright. They never do the wrong thing. They always try to do the right thing. Uh, And they are morally good, but in every other way, they're repugnant. I mean, I I was thinking about this this morning, and I I was thinking about the, the movie Les Miserables. Maybe you've seen the movie or the play or read the book. But the two key, uh, two key characters really, to me, contrast these two different kinds of good. Javert is very, very good in the legal sense. Javert never does what is wrong. Javert always does what is right. But there's absolutely nothing attractive about him. He's just self-righteous. He's pious. And so he does the right thing, but there's nothing beautiful or or, or, or drawing about him. Jean Valjean, on the other hand, is also good, at least after his conversion. But his goodness is a completely different kind of goodness. He does the right thing, but he does it in a noble way, in a beautiful way. And those who know him want to follow him. They know him because they know his heart is good toward them. Not just good toward the law, but good toward them. And that's exactly the kind of good that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. That's the kind of good that we're talking about here. And why does he say that he's good? First of all, he says, I lay my life down for my sheep. He actually says this four times in this short passage. Uh, Four times he says, I lay my life down for my sheep. Now, this is obviously a reference to the crucifixion. Jesus knows that actually in a very short while, he will be uh, crucified on a cross. And, and he uh, wants him to understand that I'm doing this for you. And he also wants them to understand I am doing it willingly. No one takes my life. The, the Roman Empire, the Jewish leaders, none of them could take my life except that I give it. You understand that Jesus had the the, the resources of all of heaven. He could have destroyed the entire Roman Empire. But he says, no, like a sheep led to the slaughter, I will not open my mouth. I go willingly to lay my life down for you. Now, it's interesting when you think about actual shepherds, even a good shepherd who wants to protect his sheep will protect them, but not to the point of death. And for good reason, because honestly, obviously, if, if the shepherd gives up his life for trying to save a sheep, then, then now the whole flock is exposed and there's no one to protect them. 
But Jesus is saying here, it is necessary that I die because there is an enemy of your soul who can only be defeated by my death. And so I will lay my life down willingly for you. But please understand this. Jesus goes on to say, and I will take it back again. Now that is a clear reference to the resurrection. He says, yes, I'm going to lay my life down, but I will take it back again. He's saying, I will defeat your enemy by laying my life down, but I will not leave you alone. I will come back again, I will be raised again, and I will continue to lead you as your good shepherd. So Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. Secondly, Jesus says, my sheep belong to me. Jesus says, I am no hired hand. You see, a hired hand cares more about the paycheck than the sheep. When the, when the push comes to shove, the hired hand will run if there's danger because all he wants is a check. Jesus says, that's not the way I see you. I see you as my very own sheep. I am the owner of the sheep, not a hired hand. That means you belong to me. I know you by name. You are mine and I am yours. That's why Jesus is a good shepherd because he takes ownership of his sheep. And and I want you to know this morning that the true shepherd is also a good shepherd. The one to whom you belong and the one before whom you are dependent is good. You know how we said last week that this whole metaphor of sheep and shepherd is meant to remind us that we were created for another? We were made to live in dependence on God. We were not made to live independently or to live self-sufficiently, but we were made to be dependent upon God. And Jesus wants you to know that you can trust him with your life because he is good. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear Jesus make these claims or make these promises, I can't can't help but think about the 23rd Psalm. And I really do believe that Jesus had the 23rd Psalm in his mind. He would have known it. He would have have inspired it in David thousands of years earlier. Uh, And Jesus was saying, yes, that picture of a shepherd that David talked about in Psalm 23 is exactly who I am. And so I want to take a few moments this morning to kind of jump out of John 10 and into Psalm 23. Uh, It's a psalm that all of you know. I mean, er, even people outside the church have heard Psalm 23 at some time. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, We all, it's probably the most well-known passage in the entire Old Testament and one of the most well-known in the Bible as a whole. Uh, But I want you this morning to hear it again to hear it maybe in a different way than before. I want you to hear it through the lens of your Savior saying, I am your good shepherd. And can I just remind us before we dig into this, that this is not a psalm that was written in the safety of an ivory tower. David, David wrote this psalm. Scholars aren't sure exactly when because he doesn't tell us, but I can tell you this. It was forged not in an ivory tower where David could sit safely and ponder the things of life, 
This was forged on the battlefield. This was forged in the caves. This was forged as David ran for his life from a madman named Saul who wanted to destroy him. David went through all those things, but he says, the thing that I learned in the end is no matter what I face, the Lord is my shepherd. I think when David wrote this, I believe he was very intentionally trying to address the great fears of humanity. You know, there, we have a lot of specific fears, but there are some core fears that all of us wrestle with at some point or another. And this morning as we read it, and as I work through it, I want you to see here that, that through David, God is letting you know that he is there in the midst of every fear that you have. Let's just read it together, uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, many of you learned this as a child, didn't you? You learned to, to memorize it. You, you've quoted it. How many times do we turn to it? You hear it at almost every funeral. Anytime there is mourning, anytime there is sadness, we turn to this psalm, and why is it that we keep coming back to it over and over and over again? Because here God is addressing our deepest needs and our deepest fears. Let's just start with this one. Well, let me just say this before we go into the specific ones. Can I just tell you that again, this is all rooted in this understanding that God made us to trust him, to know him, and to follow him. But the truth of the matter is, every day we are tempted to do just the opposite. Every day we are tempted to do our own thing, to take matters into our own hands, to protect ourselves, to find our own way, because it's easier to do that than it is to trust on another. And the truth is we can live like that, and many of us do live like that. But where that takes us, when we begin to live independently, self-sufficiently, cutting ourselves off from the resources of God, because we have to take it into our own hands. We end in stress and anxiety and discontentment, disillusionment, or addictions to the things that comfort us in our pain. David says here, I believe with all my heart that David is telling us here, there is another way. There is another way. There is a way that is rooted in rest and peace and contentment and fulfillment. If we will put our lives in the hands of another. If we will entrust ourselves completely to another. And so look at, let's look together at these core fears that, that God is addressing here through David. The first one is the fear that my relational needs will not be met. 
The fear that my relational needs will not be met. That's just another way of saying the fear of being alone. The fear of spending my life alone. I want you to see the very first words of this great psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Can I just say that it would have been completely understandable and normal if David had said, the Lord is our shepherd? Because I would remind you that the people of Israel lived in a time where they were much more aware of community than individual rights. They, weren't, they didn't grow up in America where they had this deep understanding of individualism. And so they typically thought of things in the our sense. But it's fascinating to me that here, when David is reflecting on the darkest times of his life, David says, the Lord is not our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, David need to, needed to know that there was a God who knew him personally who walked with him and who was constantly there with him. That's why the words of Jesus in John 10 are so important or so, so, so powerful. Jesus says, I know my sheep by name. I know you, you know me, and I will take care of you personally. I want you to know this morning that, that when you begin to live with this or when you begin to, to wrestle with this great fear of, of will I be alone? I want you to know that there is one who, yes, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But do you know what else he is? He will stick closer to you than a brother. He will be with you at all times. He will never leave you alone. We're going to come back to this in just a few weeks when we get to John 14. But before Jesus went to the cross and returned to the Father... He said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send my Holy Spirit who will guide you, protect you, give you everything that you need. He will be my presence with you. Beloved, I want you to understand that, uh, that you have a shepherd who knows you personally and is with you. The second great fear is whether or not our physical needs will be met. And to that, David says that we have a shepherd that will make us lie down in green pastures and a shepherd who will lead us beside still waters. Uh, can I just tell you that you may, you may think of Israel as a desert place. When you think of the Middle East, you probably think of dry and, and, and desert conditions. And, and Israel certainly has those, uh, especially today. But can I tell you, I've been to Israel, and there are places in Israel that are just absolutely bursting with green life. They're just oases of green and life. And it is the job of the shepherd to lead the sheep through the desert to a place where they can eat until they are filled. And God says, you may go through a desert time. You may go through a dry time in your life, but I will lead you to fulfillment. When it says here, he makes me lie down, shepherds will tell you that you cannot make a sheep lie down until it is full, until it is eaten and, and has, has had its fill. Until then, a sheep will not lay down, but when a sheep is content, it will lie down. And so David is saying here, I, we have a shepherd who will lead us to food and will lay us down to rest, and, and that he will lead us to, to still waters. Uh, a sheep is a timid animal. animal. And a sheep will not drink from a noisy or fast-moving stream. Uh, and, and here's what's interesting. 
you know, uh, the shepherd knows that. And the shepherd might think, well, uh, you know, these sheep just need to get over it. These sheep need to drink whatever water is in front of them. And, and just to tr- but the shepherd knows the nature of the sheep and meets the needs of the sheep right where the sheep is. And can I tell you that your father knows you more intimately than you know yourself? He knows what your needs are. And he will lead you to still water, to water that will give you peace, that will water that will allow you to rest so that you can receive the nourishment that only he will give. And so to our fear that our physical needs will not be met, David says we have a shepherd who will lead us to green pastures and who will lead us to still waters where every need will be met. And then there is the fear that our emotional needs will not be met. Uh, the, the, the fear that, that we will lose our soul along the way. I, I love what David says here. He restores my soul. Literally, what he says is, he will give me my soul back. He will give me my soul back. You know that living in this world can often leave you feeling like your soul has been taken? Living in this world, you will often feel like your soul has been depleted, that there's nothing left. And David says that in those days where where we feel most depleted, we can know that we have a shepherd who will give us our soul back. We live in a world that is constantly taking from us. But praise God, we have a shepherd who will constantly give us our soul back. Amen? Let me, let me take that even to another level. Do you remember last week the picture of the, the cast sheep? Uh, this, is a, this is a real picture. This is not a joke. Uh, and, and this is a sheep that is cast. And what, what a shepherd means when he says he has a cast sheep is that a sheep gets so round and so full of wool that it will sometimes roll over and it can't get itself up. And a sheep will literally lie there until one of two things happens. Either it dies or a shepherd comes and puts it back on its feet because the sheep cannot get up by itself. This is exactly what David had in mind when he said, our shepherd will restore us. He will give us our soul back. Now, I don't know about you, but I definitely feel just like that quite often. Anybody else relate to that picture? And I want you to know, that your father sees. Your good shepherd sees you when you get in that condition. He sees you when your feet are straight up and you cannot pick yourself up. And he says, I will come and I will give you your soul back. I will restore your soul. And then there's the fear that our spiritual needs will not be met. You know, one of the things that everybody knows about sheep is they have a tendency to get lost. Sheep are always wandering away from the, uh, from the herd and wandering away from the flock and getting lost off to themselves. And certainly there is this fear that many of us wrestle with, that yes, I have been saved, I know that God saved me, but there is this fear that I'm going to lose my way. There's this fear that I'm going to get off the path. And there's this fear that in the end, I will find myself lost. Can I remind you of what Jesus said in the great parable of the 99? He said, I left the, the shepherd left the 99 to find the one. That's exactly what he's saying here. He will guide you in paths of righteousness. 
God will see when you're getting off path. And he will draw you back. He will always be pursuing you. A good shepherd will go after its lost sheep. If you're, if you're here today and, and you're dealing with either the fear of or the reality of spiritual failure, where, where you're having such a hard time finding your way again because of some great failure or the fear of it, I want to remind you that you have a shepherd that will come after you and wants to draw you back into the fold because you belong to him. And then there is this great fear. The fear that I'm going to face something in life, some trouble, some difficulty that will simply be too much to bear. Too much to bear. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, in Israel, if you've ever been there, you know that the landscape is, is littered with great wadis or ravines Uh, In the desert places, there are these huge ravines, and they're so severe, so steep, that that only in the the high noon of day does light even get into them. Typically, they're characterized by shadows. That's exactly what David had in mind when he said that, that, that our shepherd will lead us through those ravines, through those wadis, into a place of safety. It's a, we, we typically associate this part of the psalm with death. And certainly that's part of what David was dealing with. But I want you to hear it in a more literal sense. The more literal translation is a valley of darkness. A valley of darkness. And, and, and I have to say this because it's so much a part of what this psalm says. When, God, when, when David says that our God, our shepherd, will lead us in paths of righteousness... Can I tell you that those paths of righteousness will take you to green pastures and those paths will take you to still waters, but those paths will also take you through valleys of darkness. And it is the same shepherd that is with you all the time. What this says is God is not going to prevent darkness. He's not going to prevent trouble. But listen to what he says. I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. You are with me. God will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. He will lead you through the dark valleys to a place of light and healing and safety. If you are in the midst of danger today in any kind of way of darkness, if you're just battling any kind of darkness, I want you to hear again, he is with you. And his rod and his staff will protect you. Now, why the two and not just one? Because a rod was used by a shepherd to beat off the wild animals. The rod was for the enemy. But the staff was for the sheep. A shepherd would use the crooked staff. You know, you've all seen the shepherd's staff. And he used that shepherd to keep the sheep in line, not to beat them over the head, but to keep them in line by nudging them away from their uh, straying path back onto the right path. And what David is saying here is that God is going to be with me. He is going to be fighting my battles against my enemy. And he's going to be constantly hemming me in to keep me in a place where he can be at work. Every core fear of humanity is addressed in these verses. And in the face of all of those fears, 
David's great declaration is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. I think I told you last week that I used to hear that verse in a way that was really distorted. I heard it as a pep talk. You know, I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, hey, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and don't want anything because the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to want. That's not what he's saying here. Uh, the, a kid was asked once to, to recite the 23rd Psalm and, and he got up and he said, the Lord is my shepherd. What more could I want? That is an accurate translation. The kid got it right. That's what David was saying. This was, not a, this was not a pep talk of a stern God who wants you to, to, to not have any needs. David was declaring that God is enough. God is enough. Because he is with me, I will lack in nothing. And he goes on to show us just how extravagantly God will meet our needs. He says, he anoints my head with oil. You got to understand that in those days, one of the greatest challenges of life was that everywhere you went, you were walking on dirt roads in very dry, arid uh, territory. And so when you got to wherever you were going, your skin was cracking, uh, you had wounds, you, you, you've, been, you've been walking through the, the street with stones and pebbles and thorns. And one of the greatest thing a host could do when you got there was to bring oil and anoint your head. It was a soothing, healing blessing from the one who owned the house, who said, I'm here to, to bless you in this way. And I want you to know that God sees your cracks. God, God sees those dry places in your, in your life where, where it's, you're, it's just beginning to crack and pull apart. And God wants to anoint you with oil, the, the balm of Gilead, if you will, the oil that will soothe your wounds and heal your broken places. Uh, he says that my cup overflows, abundance. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. Now, I really love that one because what David is saying is this, that even in my darkest places, even when the enemy is, is coming against me, God is gonna turn it into an opportunity for feasting. God is gonna prepare a banquet table and use that very hardship to bring abundance in my life. That's the kind of shepherd we have. That's the kind of shepherd who wants to lead us and guide us. And, and, and I think it's fascinating that as David begins to talk about the way God meets all of our needs, the metaphor completely changes. It was sheep and shepherd, but that's not where it ends. I mean, look at what he says at the end. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. Uh, we will dwell in the house of the, the sheep don't live in the house. This is all, these are all family images, family images. And I think what's happening here is this, that, that David is using this beautiful picture of a sheep who guides, a sh or shepherd who guides his sheep. And, and it works for so many things. But at the very end, the, the metaphor breaks down. Because you know what? You may be a sheep in the sense that you are dependent on God, that you need one to lead you, but I want you to hear today, God does not see you as sheep. He sees you as beloved sons and daughters. You are children of the king. And that's ultimately the way your father sees you. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. 
And that is what leads David to this great benediction. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. At least that's the way I learned it. I don't know about you, but surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The modern translations have changed that slightly, and they've done it for a good reason. Because the word there for mercy is actually the Hebrew word hesed. And that word means loving kindness. It, mercy is, is, is wrapped up in the word, but it really means mer- loving kindness. It, it means loyal love. It means love that will not fail. And David says we need to know that God's goodness and God's unfailing love will be with us all the days of our lives on earth, and then we will get to live in the big house for eternity. That's the message. That is the shepherd that we're called to follow. Now, I just want to ask you this morning, as we uh, come toward a close, now, I want to ask you, what fears are hounding you today? Where are the places in your life right now where you are tempted to just take matters into your own hand and not trust the shepherd? I really want to give you a moment here at the end of this sermon, this message, uh, to really open your heart to the good shepherd. I've been speaking to your mind. I really want to speak to your heart in these last moments. And I'm going to do this in a little bit of a different way. There's a song that um, was written that's pretty much just the 23rd Psalm put to music. It's, uh, It's over 40 years old. Anybody remember Keith Green? few of you do. Um, This is a song called the 23rd Psalm where the Lord is my shepherd. And um, I just, I just want to sing the words. Uh, There's something about music that sometimes penetrates past the head and into the heart. And so I really felt led just to sing it. I, I, I don't want you to pay attention so much to the singing, but to hear the words would you let God just speak deeply into your soul? Just feel free to close your eyes. Just go into a, a, a posture of prayer. And I just want to invite you to open your heart and just to let God speak to you through this song. I shall not
the shadow of death. I will not fear thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a I want to ask the altar team if they'll come and just prepare the elements. And as they do, I want to remind you that Jesus, when he was declaring himself to be the good shepherd, specifically said, I am the good shepherd because I've laid down my life for you. I'm going to invite all of you to come in just a moment. And to take a piece of this bread, which represents the broken body of our Lord Jesus. And to dip it into the juice, it represents his shed blood. And to remember that that shepherd laid down his life for you. Would you come confessing your sin, receiving his grace? Some of you may be in the midst of darkness right now. And you need someone to pray with you. These altars are open. And there are going to be people who are ready to come and pray with you. There may be some here today who says, you know what? I, I don't have that shepherd. I've been living my own life. I've been taking things into my own hands. And I've never really given my life to the shepherd. There are people here ready to pray with you. Ready to lead you to salvation. To pray the prayer of salvation with you today. So that you can walk out of here knowing that you have a good shepherd you belong to. If you have any other need, the the altars are open. Just feel free to come and kneel. If you want someone to pray with you, just lift your hand. They'll come. But would all of you come? You're all invited. Let's just respond to the Lord's invitation today to come to the Good Shepherd.